That Comic Smell comic issue number one is now available to buy. Join David Robertson, Fernando Pons, Mike Sadaka and Tom Stewart with guest artist John Tucker as they create their first anthology together. Buy your copy today at fredeggcomics.bigcartel.com Go to fredeggcomics.bigcartel.com today to buy your copy. Welcome! to That Comic Smell Podcast. With your host, Tom Stewart. With special guest, James Lawrence. Hello. How you doing? Yeah, not too bad, man. How you getting on? Everything good? Yeah, good, man. Good. Uh, the you know campaign's going really, really well. Uh, you know, yeah, it's great. I'm glad. I'm glad it's finally stopped raining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Finally, getting a wee bit of sun. Yeah, campaign's going really well. Um, hit ninety three percent. Yesterday, that's the campaign for the uh, the the new uh, Legend of La Mariposa book. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, we're currently just under 250 to go to hit our goal with 20 days remaining. That's good, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's been absolutely mind-blowing, to be honest, because, like, um, I think we, we smashed, like, 60% of the goal within in 24 hours, which was about double the rate of the first campaign for the Jeez. Demon Gauntlet back in 2019. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. So it's been it's been a uh, it's it's been a really exciting kind of like couple of weeks. So now we're just kind of like we're in that slight kind of um, fallow period in the middle two weeks where yeah. it kind of plateaus off before sort of the um, hopefully that final spike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, so it's it's absolutely fantastic. I'm so excited to kind of bring this book to people. That's good, man. It's good. I remember you selling like the three single issues like a while back. Um, yeah, yeah, and I had. I'm sure I've still got them dotting about because um, I've got I've got my small press stuff like sectioned off everywhere because I've got that many bloody books lying about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I bought them off you way back in Dunfermline, so that would have been like 2018, 19, something like that. Yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, God, when was that? Like, because I, I I booked in for one. Mm-hmm. And that was when we had that hellacious snowstorm. Yes, the yeah. beast from the east, and it was kind of cancelled. Um, and then we kind of returned the next year, and that was a that was a really good time. Yeah, I want to say that was yeah, two thousand two thousand nineteen, but I can't actually remember. It must have been like two thousand eighteen or so. Yeah, yeah, because like, yeah, because yeah, everything kind of stopped in twenty nineteen, didn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it must have been like yeah, something like that. It must have yeah. been around then. But the uh, have you had have you had the Demon Gauntlet kind of has that been in comic shops and stuff pretty frequently and like online available to buy and everything through twenty twenty and everything? Yeah, the Demon Gauntlet's been kind of a weird situation just because it's yet to actually officially debut at a convention. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, because literally, I um, I did the Demon Gauntlet in uh, September of twenty nineteen. Yes. 
um and then it took a little bit a little bit of time to fulfill it and i kind of had a firm policy from the get-go uh that no one else was going to get the book until the backers got the book oh that's good man that's good um because i think that's only fair like you ask people to kind of put their uh you know put their trust in you mm-hmm. uh you know and you're, you're basically hitting them up for cash to help you print this book yeah 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 um so i think it's only fair that they should get first look mm-hmm. that's it so i you know um so it, I, i'll be honest it was like i was i was a victim of my own ethics because like i was really hungry at thought bubble to get that kind of that big book energy on the table um and i had a couple few copies with me for people who kind of wanted to show up uh-huh. like who wanted to take a look at like what the finished finished edition was just to kind of show it off a bit because i was really proud yeah um but then obviously you know thought bubbles the last convention of the year um and then you know the plague rolled into town and <laughs> was shut down so um with the exception of kind of like online sales yeah um and a couple of retail shops that have kind of like put in orders mm-hmm. um the demon gauntlet's kind of yet to sort of make it's like kind of public debut right okay which is like staggering to think about it because that book's like two years old now yeah um yeah. and you know this thought bubble like it's gonna be weird because the the table in 2019 thought bubble was you know we had the the knife point horror anthology mm-hmm. uh that myself uh mark penman uh, John Pearson, V Glass, like a, a few other people, kind of put together as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had that, and then the rest of it was my usual array of kind of black and white sort of mini comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's going to be crazy because this this year um, the table's just going to be transformed. It's going to be kind of like you know stacks of fat books with spines on them, <laughs> which you, I'm very excited for. I was going to say that that'll be that'll feel really good. It'll feel almost um not that not that selling many comics isn't but it'll feel almost legitimate in a way when you're doing it like looking at it won't it yeah i mean you know i i have a lot of love for kind of mini comics mm-hmm. um you know i love the handmade quality of them i love the accessibility of them because it was looking at kind of like folded staple black and white mini comics that kind of make it look a lot make comics look a lot more accessible yeah 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 you know to someone who's kind of just starting out um it's something that i've spoken to my students about uh on a fairly frequent level is like comics don't necessarily have to be this huge um you know they don't have to be a huge production value thing they can be something that's pretty much 100 percent handmade if you yeah. want them to be um but there is a certain kind of appeal for me because i, you know, I do like a certain production value in my in my sort of you know uh, physical books mm-hmm. um you know, it's going to be very gratifying to have kind of like a, co- <clears throat> you know, a couple of volumes that can start to fill out a bookshelf. Yeah, totally, man. You know, so it's going to be, and, obvi- and obviously because um, the climate of the stories is kind of in some ways a companion volume to the Demon Gauntlet. Yeah. Although, you know, they are obviously kind of like, they can be read standalone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be like two nice volumes that can kind of sit well together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then subsequent volumes are going to be a little bit different in uh a little bit different in style but i think they'll still hang together really well yeah so you so you do have plans to carry on the story then oh 100 percent. yeah nice. um there's like there are currently five la mariposa stories okay in various stages of development i'm almost finished with the like so 
after the climb and other stories, there is going to be um, a 50-page book called uh, Vulcan's Challenge, which is what I did, what I spent the first half of lockdown doing. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was my lockdown project. <clears throat> um, and that's going to kind of tie up everything, um, <clears throat> you know, all the kind of like loose plot threads in the Demon Gauntlet and the climb and other stories. Mm. Uh, and then... Um, I've just finished uh, I'm about to finish the thumbnails and layouts for uh, the fourth book which is going to be completely different um, that I have hinted at like a couple of times in sort of the mists of social media right. but it's going to be um, a bit of a flashback story about La Mariposa when she's like a kid in oh, school nice. so you know that's a lot of fun I'm having a lot of, I've had a lot of fun writing kind of planning that story I think people are going to really dig it Nice. But like after these two fat volumes, um, the current plan is to um, produce similar full color volumes, um, but they're going to be running around forty to fifty pages. Right. Okay. As opposed to the uh, the big kind of tomes. Yeah. So that's the current plan, and then beyond that, there are various kind of like stories at stages of kind of like the concepting stage. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know all have their own kind of distinct flavor. Yeah. But that's always been the goal is to have one day be able to have like a bookshelf of just like La Mariposa books, like you know, like one might have like a shelf of like Asterix or uh, yeah. anything like that. <laughs> that's good, man. Was it always the plan to have um, two big collections, or did that just kind of come along the way? That's kind of how it just came together. Yeah. Because to be honest, like, you know, I did the Demon Gauntlet and I had never really planned to collect the Demon Gauntlet into a book until I was bullied into it by my friend. <laughs> it was just basically, it was just saying, you sat on like 200 pages of comics. Yeah. And I was like, like looking back, the reasons for it, my reasons for it was so silly because I was just like, oh, well, you know, that's available online for free. I don't know if people are going to want to buy the print copy. And like, it's nice to have it just be its own thing. And, you know, and then the print copies, the print copies, the web comics, the web comics. And then, you know, I, I gradually kind of got beaten down and then I kind of came around and was just like, you know what, that is daft. <laughs> like, because, you know, I've definitely bought um, print editions of webcomics. Yeah. Even when I've been current on the webcomic, you know, and then yeah. I made, you know, made the Demon Gauntlet. And like the plan with the climb and other stories was, um, again, it was the same thing. You know, I'd made these minis mm-hmm. and like, I'm still quite proud of them. I'm still quite proud of some of the storytelling in yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they, you know, it's those minis that kind of like help me realize what I want the Legend of La Mariposa to kind of be. Right. Okay. In terms of the types of comics that they are, with them being kind of like standalone, self-contained adventures. Mm-hmm. So it made sense to follow up with kind of like a similar book in a similar format, considering how how they tie into events in Demon Gauntlet and the fact that they were generated while the Demon Gauntlet was running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did them in between, didn't you? So, what were you kind of were you kind of pulling ideas that you were going to put into the Demon Gauntlet, and then going, "Well, that doesn't work. I'll maybe just make that an individual story." Or was it that kind of thing? Uh, what it What it basically was was I was um, I had been producing comics in print previously, and then I decided to do a web comic because the problem was is like I was like. I'm spending ages drawing these um, these comics, mm-hmm. and then I would put them out, you know, 
once a year or like once or twice a year. But then the entire time I was drawing them, I was just silent. I was just dead online. Right. You know, um, like, cause at that point I hadn't clicked that every stage of the comic drawing process is content. Mm-hmm. So, and people want to see it. I was just like, yeah. Oh, no one's going to want to see this because you know, familiarity breeds contempt. You're staring at the page the whole time. Yeah. Just like, I know it's going to see No one's going to want to see how like mucky my sketches are. And people are like, Oh, or like, I don't want to give up like a, you know, like a, a moment in the story. And then I was like, kind of like, Oh wait, no, that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, that's what the um, that's what people seem to live for these days is all the process stuff. Definitely, that's the thing. Like, I that's the thing. It's one of those things. Like, I need to kind of like, you know, I, I you need to learn to be kind of aware of how you consume stuff because that's has to be how other people consume stuff. Yeah. So, like, I'm hungry for process. I'm a complete searcher. You know, I'm I, I'm like I, I search it out wherever I can. But like, you know, oh, I'm doing this web comic. I've got nothing to sell at conventions. Yeah. And that's when I hit upon the idea of, well, I'll do the, I'll do a chapter of the webcomic and then I'll do a mini, then I'll do a chapter, then I'll do a mini, and then I'll have stuff to sell at comms um, and stuff to sell, you know, and, and stuff to put online. And then at this point, I was still on that weird kind of like forked path stuff as the webcomic stuff. I, I think I, I like the idea of online audiences and print audiences having two different impressions uh-huh. of the legend of Lamar poster, but then I've kind of realized that's not really, you know, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense beyond kind of the initial conceit. Yeah. 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 Sorry. You just, you kind of dropped out there at the end, dude. Oh, sorry. Um, what was I saying? Um, <laughs> yeah, what it basically boiled down to was, um, I, I like the idea of the you know, the, the legend of Mariposa being almost kind of bifurcated. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, you know, the online experience and the print experience being different. Yes. And I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. I think it might have just been a little <laughs> bit of an artistic conceit. Um, and now I've kind of come around to the idea of just being like, well, it all kind of, like, fits together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, with, you know what leads us to where we where we're at now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you um did you ever run into anybody getting confused with that, like coming to conventions or anything? Was there anybody who like followed it online and then thought that the mini comics were what you were putting up online or anything like that, or was that just easily explained away? Um, there was a couple of occasions, but um, they were pleasantly surprised, which I was glad. No one ever kind of like ran up and was just like, hey. What's this? Why is this online? <laughs> I was just like, oh, cool. This, you know, I've been reading it online. Oh, my God. This is like a whole other. So, so it was like a moment of kind of discovery for them mm-hmm. in a way, which, you know, I, I was I was happy that they kind of felt that way. But yeah. like, no, no one kind of like really was confused. But if they were confused, it was kind of like, you know, in a good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but totally. I mean, to be honest, a lot of kind of you, you you might be picking up on this, but a lot of kind of um, what I've done up until this point is just, just been throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. <laughs> oh, it works, man. I kind of doing what, yeah, doing what kind of feels right in that moment. Yeah, and then backtracking a little bit, um, and produce you know. So now I'm in kind of like the spot where I'm like. Yeah, it makes sense to collect these sort of these early La Mariposa efforts. The you know the sort of the main body of the content that people know of now and collect it in like two big spots yeah two big places so people can just have it all in one place 
and they don't have to search out my Tumblr and they don't have to search out like um, the minis, which may or may not be in print kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. at any given moment, they could just find the book yeah. and just get everything in one place. Because the the thing about the climbing, the climbing other stories actually is it's not just those three mini comics. No, no, it's, it's other other stuff that you've done in between, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because like I, I I've done you know over the years like people have gotten in touch you've like seen the legend of the mariposa and just like do you want to do a legend of the mariposa strip for this thing i've been like yeah uh-huh. um and you know those those have been a few places so, so like you know there are a couple of them in uh jamie smart's kind of moose kid the oh, okay. free magazine that he was putting out a while back yeah um there was a few la mariposa strip early la mariposa strips in there uh there was one for a a, a charity uh anthology that um true believers oh yeah 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 yeah. uh the true believers comic convention put together so there's one in there so that's in there um you know there's various kind of like six pages and one pages and two pages that i've just done for fun that's good you know when you just kind of get the urge you're just like oh i want to bang out a comic this weekend kind of thing yeah yeah so they're in there and again yeah it's just about kind of consolidating all sort of the loose fragments of kind of the legend of la mariposa into this second book mm-hmm. that's good so it's kind of, it's like a one-man anthology kind of thing yeah yeah totally are you are you planning to still keep the uh keep the tumblr up with everything on there yeah the tumblr is like still up you know people can go and read it like um you know tumblr is kind of fallen out of uh you know fallen out of favor yeah or kind of like it's fallen off the radar a bit i still think it's like a, you know um a good place to go for art mm-hmm. you know yeah. um i understand kind of the reason why some people have kind of like you know done away with it um but like i you know i don't see the harm in kind of dropping stuff up on the tumblr for people who like to read the stuff on there well I, you've, the, you've got more the one you... thing You've got more sort of family Sorry, friendly. No. You've got more kind of family friendly stuff as well, though. That you've not really got the uh, the hindrance of it being misconstrued or anything like that that will get taken down or any of those kind of things. I mean, it? I did get hit by the algorithm a couple of times. Oh, did you? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. When it, when it, when they first introduced their um, their silly censorship algorithm, um, I got caught a couple of times because obviously a lot of the characters in the comic are you know bare chested. Oh right, okay. So I think oh. the algorithm would be like, oh, that's an expansive skin tone. <laughs> and oh then, you know, they would kind of like knock it back and then, you know, I would appeal and then a little while later it would be restored. Uh, but, you know, that's what happens when you kind of let an algorithm do your work for you. Yeah, exactly. Stuff gets caught in the net. So like, I, you know, I mean, the, the, the censorship on, on Tumblr, like, you know, what's happening a lot on like all social media, like speaking personally, I do, I do think it's just daft yeah um and i don't think it's done in kind of good faith mm. um but like i'm i'm sort of lucky in a way because as you said my work is kind of all ages friendly yeah so it's not something that I, I don't have to contend with being chased off platforms uh which you know some very talented creators you know do and don't deserve to be yeah exactly yeah exactly have you ever thought of um like hosting it on like a webtoons or anything like that or are you quite happy just having it up on the tumblr and then having them in printed form it was briefly on tapas right okay it was briefly on tapas when the platform first started um 
but then there was something to do with um, a weird clause that they introduced into the terms and conditions All right. that gave essentially the right of first refusal um, if anyone wanted to produce anything. Like, so if, say if you had like, um, if, if a publisher approached you, I was just like, we like your Tapas series, we like to publish it. Tapas would have been able to turn around uh, and say, well, no, because we might want to publish it later on, and you didn't get like a say in the matter. Oh, yeah. That's so, strange. yeah, but I, I they after the initial kind of outrage, um, they took it out and walked it back. But by then, I was kind of like, well, you've already shown a willingness to do that once. Yeah. What's to stop you to do it again? And like, it wasn't you know, it wasn't doing super well on Tapas, so I just I just nuked the whole account. Right. Okay. <laughs> The Legend of La Mariposa did briefly have a custom-built website for it that I kind of like got a friend to bully Squarespace into hosting because <laughs> uh, I found a a web comment template on Squarespace. Okay. But the problem is, is the the for some reason the Squarespace website the archiving sort of um, the widget that I put in wouldn't archive post past a hundred. Yeah. And when I started the web comic, I was at like one hundred and thirty-six pages. Right. So, like, the first 36 pages of the comics just weren't accessible. Uh, so we had to, like, basically break Squarespace in order to make it work. <laughs> and again, it just never quite got the traffic to make it worthwhile. Yeah. So eventually I shut that down, um, let the let the domain name elapse like an idiot. <laughs> so if you you search for longlivelamariposa.com, I think it's a Chinese furniture site now. <laughs> um, so, which is why it's, like, it's still on kind of, like, tumblr.com. Yeah. Because um, you know, I, that's why I haven't like found a vanity URL for uh, the Tumblr.com. The Tumblr still does the thing, and again, you know, the books um, do okay. And to be honest, whenever I do a new page, I throw it on Twitter and Instagram anyway. Right. Okay. So it's like it's not hard to find the comics online. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and there are digital editions available on the big cartel anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah, to be honest, like you know, it's 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 not the most organized business model, but that's always because just like my my brain always focuses on generating the work and not necessarily disseminating it. Yeah, yeah. Um, until the Kickstarter came along, so like the when the kicks, you know, in terms of Kickstarter fulfillment, I'm all all go or focus because it's really important that people get what they paid for. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that their trust is rewarded. But in terms of actually sort of motivating myself to actually, you know get it on different sort of platforms and get it in different sort of, you know, retail locations and stuff like that. I'm really bad at that. I need someone to do that for me. <laughs> so um, if you're looking for a job, listeners, <laughs> uh, feel free to drop me a line. There'll be somebody sitting there going, oh, I could just upload it to Comixology. I'll give them a shout. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's literally, I just need to, I just need to make the time to just sit down. Yeah. Um, and just, Upload it to a load of different platforms. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, the yeah. the, the comics ology upload thing in general is uh, a total faff. Anyway, we 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 tried to approach it for putting up the that comic smell comic uh, number, oh, yeah. number one, and uh oh, like we got halfway through and just went, oh, forget it. <laughs> I mean, my very first comic I tried to put on the comics ology when comics ology submit first started up. I like this is before the Legend of Mariposa. Yeah. It took them six months to get back to me, <laughs> and then they came back with a rejection, rejection saying, um, "Oh uh, no, we can't accept the file because there's artifacting on it." Because like I didn't really understand about kind of like um, you know resolutions at the time because it was about like a decade ago. All oh, right, okay. Uh, yeah, so like 
I was like, oh, six months on a turnaround and then six months to find out if I fixed the problem. Oh, the hell with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Totally. Has there been any that you've... Um, has there been any ways that you've considered putting the comic up? Like, whether it be online or any places that you've wanted to put the printed copy or anything and you've just either not got around to it yet or it's not been doable yet or anything like that? Or have you been pretty successful oh, with where you want to put yeah, it? Yeah, like the thing is, it's, it's no reflection on the platforms in question. It's just me being lazy and you spending... Because <laughs> I, I work, you know, work full-time as well. Yeah. And being like, oh, I could sit down and do a bunch of admin and upload a bunch of files and get all this stuff set up or I could bang out a page. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so that's that's just that's just my lack of discipline, to be honest. But yeah, like, you know, um, there's some great kind of platforms out there for independent work. So like, um, you know, um, buy small press, mm-hmm. you know, seems to be going great guns. And like, that's kind of cool to see because that's just a prop, seems like a proper grassroots kind of startup thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, there's Comic House. Yep. Um, um, so. how, how's it been then? Um... How's it been like going back over this again and like because they were all black and white originally, weren't they? Like, have you been back in and uh-huh. color colorized them and everything for the collection? Yeah, yeah, the new books like all full color. Yeah. Um, you know, so the three main stories that make up the bulk of the book, they were originally printed in just raw black and white line art. Right. Um, or sort of like the, you know, I didn't even put like a half tone in there because literally they were just like draw the comic, bang it out for, uh, you know for thought bubble because the idea was is that I would make them mini comics made them super affordable so I kept the production costs as low as possible. Yeah, totally. Because I wanted kids to be able to buy them with pocket money. Oh good. You know, my, my selling point was used to be like, you know, it's a, it, it's it's cheaper than a cup of coffee. Yeah. Kind of thing for like this for like this thirty page graphic for like this thirty page comic book. Um but yeah no these ones are like yeah they've been fully coloured. Um you know, they've each got a kind of a distinct, really kind of cool color palette. Yeah, it was a lot. It was, initially, I thought it was going to be a slog, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Because, like, flatting is, like, one of my least favorite parts of the process. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, kind of once I, once, once I determined the, the palette, it was, you're know, a fairly quick turnaround, and it was quite satisfying in a way interests that weren't present in the original black and white so the thunderbird um although i think like in the original version uh the thunderbird in the climb looked quite striking and just sort of pure black and white with a little bit of kind of a dry brush effect on the edges of the wings yeah to make it look a little bit more sort of ethereal and elemental now it's got like some really nice kind of like i you know if i do say so myself some really nice kind of like gradient work and design (laughs) and it kind of looks like it's you know got that kind of crackle of ozone yeah around it as it's kind of like you know as it as it makes its appearance um you know the um the 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 the, the farmhouse in uh night of the you know night of the trooper colossus yeah yeah uh, it look you know now that it's in color it looks warm and homely yeah uh and welcoming whereas before it looked fine but it was still you know stark black and white yeah 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 kind of thing yeah oh, that's good man it's yeah. good it, it, you know what? it looks it, it does look really striking um i quite like the the egg from the thunderbird <laughs> i was quite taken with the colors on that um yeah yeah i was quite pleased with that design as well yeah there's uh yeah there's just quite a, there's quite a a good thing about having a collection all colorized as well i think it's it's all fine and well having it in black and white but um 
like on a on a big sort of grander scale take bone for example like you can get both mm. bone as pure black and white all collected or color all collected and i don't know there's just something about the color that's just pops it's great it's amazing you see, that's interesting because I actually prefer bone in black and white. Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah, the color doesn't really do much for me. It's the same with um, you know, my one of my all-time favorites, Usagi Ojimbo, uh-huh. which is getting re-releases in full color. But I'm still picking up the big black and white phone books that Dark Horse puts out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and that's for me. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that those were intended and composed in black and white. Yes. So yeah. they make really good use of black and white contrast. Uh, and texture and it all comes through in the in the ink work i feel the same way about paul pope to be honest because like i've got some paul pope stuff uh-huh. um that's being colorized from its initial black and white release and it's just it, it it kind of loses a little bit of kind of the direct the the direct interface with like pope's kind of approach to line and texture right okay but the thing is i the where i think the legend of lamar post is a little bit different is because the decision to put the original books at black and white was um it was pure practicality yes it was literally this is your hand on the kickstarter yet so the print runs are coming out my own pocket and i don't mind telling you that until like relatively recently i was like as poor as a church mouse (laughs) um so like you know the i had to keep these values low and also because i want you had to keep the, the production costs low and i wanted to keep the the unit price low so people you know could just make it like an impulse purchase 250 yeah. yeah go on then yeah, yeah yeah you know you don't have to think about a purchase like that um but the thing is is when i'm designing characters i always think very strongly in terms of color yeah like it's usually one of the first things that comes to mind the shape and then the very next thing is color mm-hmm. you know so i will determine right away i want this character to be all sort of like eggplant shapes on them to be kind of barrel chested all round and sort of like, you know, edges. I want them to feel, I want them to look like they would feel soft. Right. Okay. And then, Oh, I want this character to be like super like cut. So they're all angled. Yeah. They're all angles. Um, and then the very next thing I think about is like, well, what's a good contrasting color palette? What values are going to go? Well, you know, yeah. I always think about, um, this, this example of kind of effective kind of color design, which is where they've taken a bunch of cast characters from The Simpsons mm-hmm. and just broken them down into blocks of color. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. like you recognize all of them. Yeah. Even like the more obscure ones like Millhouse. <laughs> you know, he's got the blue the blue top and like the red glasses and kind of like the violet shirt kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's incredibly recognizable because those colors are all so distinct from each other. Yeah. So um, that's the second thing I think about. So I think the climb and other stories works it works really well in color because it's kind of like you're seeing, you know, not to go kind of like George Lucas remastering Star Wars, but it's kind of like this, you know, you're seeing them how they were kind of like intended yes. to be seen without mm-hmm. the kind of constraints of just sheer practicality and cost. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You'd be thinking about all that, You'll be thinking about the the practical aspect of having a sort of uh, anim- animation sort of aspect to it as well, though, because a lot of your characters work as just silhouettes as well, and that's a whole thing with that kind I mean, of I side. I think that's incredibly important. I mean, you know, it's it's it's. I have Stephen Silver's book on like character design for animation. Yeah. On my bookshelf at home, and it's like my go-to mm-hmm. um, silhouette 
incredibly important. I try yeah. to make sure that like any pose that I do is a strong silhouette. <laughs> um, just because I think, you know, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's just an incredibly fundamental part of any kind of character design. Yeah. You should be able to black out any sort of interior detail and understand fundamental elements of the character. Mm-hmm. You know, um, even if you kind of abstract them down to kind of, you know, pure shape. And then the, the sort of secondary detail within that sort of silhouette then kind of like rounds the character out and gives you a little bit more visual information. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's the way to do it. I think if you go in the opposite direction, you know, you have to ask yourself, it's just like, if I kind of removed, you know, it's, um, you know, it's something I notice a lot in like, you know, I, I love JRPGs, mm-hmm. you know, um, but it's something I notice a lot in kind of JRPG character design is if you just ripped all the characters' clothes off, you know, which I'm sure you can find some art on the internet. (laughs) Would you be able to tell who they are and what they were about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, would you be able to tell that this character is kind of like a hard-bitten mercenary from the slums and this character's from like an aristocratic background? Mm. Would that come across without an awareness of kind of the semiotics of, you know, characters designed for jrpgs and would you be able to tell that without kind of like their sort of um more surface trappings like clothing or you know um other kind of accoutrement yeah 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 it's that um it's a thing that i notice within a the Mariposa universal as well though is that you do give them all sort of signature clothing and whatnot as well i mean is that is that something that you had from the from the get go? Were you very hell bent on you know giving that sort of white lightning bolt kind of thing going down her top and all the other characters with uh, certain markings or headgear or anything, or was that purely just because it was related to wrestling? That's that's pure wrestling, right? Okay. <laughs> um, so like that's pure wrestling is the idea of. Um, characters having a theme but not necessarily being beholden to that theme it being something that informs them yeah without being their central thing um you know it, it, it's pure superhero characters and you know superman's got the s yes shield batman's you know he's got the whole bat theme although there's not much that's bat like about him these days yeah <laughs> you know batman might be the more apt comparison actually because you know uh la mariposa has the the butterfly and the lightning bolt motif but it doesn't really play into her character or movesets at all right um it's 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 pretty much a convenient totem um there is a um an underlying idea it doesn't really come to the surface in the comics that much as of yet okay but there is idea there is this idea of um an identity to become an avatar oh um that people can then project their desires onto and then they can draw from that as a source of strength. Oh. Um, and the idea of having a clear, definable motif um, makes it easier for people to kind of seize on that as an icon. Right, okay. You know? So if you think about, um, you, you know, this is me getting, like, weird and, like, Kirby and metaphysical. Like, <laughs> this is all stuff that, that has... that You may come into the comic later on as I think more and more about it, uh-huh. but it's still something that just informs my design process at the moment and then kind of goes way into the background. But if you think about kind of Greek mythology, yeah, the way that every kind of god in the, uh, in the pantheon um, has 
distinct icons that are associated with them. Mm-hmm. You know, Zeus has the lightning bolts. Yep. Um, Hera has the peacock. Athena has the owl. Yeah. These are all clear motifs that mean that, you know, if you had made a statue of one of these gods, people would be like, oh, well, that's such and such a body because they've got this whacking great owl on their shoulder. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so it makes it easier to sort of focus on them and understand what it is you're trying to project on them. So that's kind of the the underlying idea behind the motifs in kind of the legend of La Mariposa. I, to be honest, it, it probably is the underlying motif of Lucha Libre and superheroes in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, you know, that I'm kind of like, so it's all kind of coming from the same kind of source. Yeah. Well, that's good, man. Um, just you quickly mentioned this sort of Kirby of it all there. Uh, just out of curiosity, something that I didn't ask you the last time was uh, what are some of your sort of comic influences towards, specifically more towards this work? Is, is there specific sort of more... Um, comic influences that you actually pull from for this. Um, do you mean do you mean in terms of story content or in terms of kind of like overall? Just overall, just really more overall. Just things that you would consider you were kind of influenced uh, by in the making of this. Like, is there any? Is there anything that you kind of pull from, or are you literally just? Is it just a, a multitude of different things come come together at once? I mean, there are a few key things in terms of comics. Um, on a personal level, I derive heavy inspiration from Usagi Ojimbo, which I mentioned earlier, yeah, yeah, yeah. and kind of the Hellboy, the whole Hellboy sort of universe, the Hellverse. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, just because, um, for me personally, they represent kind of like these two individual creators, these two kind of auteur creators who have their project. Mm-hmm that is everything to them and through which they through the lens of which they can explore whatever it is they want to explore okay so for me the legend of la mariposa although i kind of like you know, i do present it as kind of a a fairly sort of um fun saturday morning all ages adventure um there are things that i work at that i try that i kind of figure out over the course of the stories that have to do with my own uh, interests with um, the um, the nature of kind of like folk heroism, uh, belief, identity, uh, the significance of kind of masking, mm. um, the significance of kind of duty uh, and honor and like, you know, all that kind of stuff, which are all kind of very sort of lofty concepts that i like to think about a lot in my sort of my own sort of brain and then inform the sort of stories that you know eventually form the legend of la mariposa yeah um then you know there's all sorts of like other stuff that's not related to comics that feeds in so like uh pulp fantasy sort of again you know i've recently been reading a collection of the the original kind of conan the barbarian all right okay yeah yeah you know they were published in weird weird tales back in the 30s and like those stories have definitely not aged well yeah (laughs) in some ways but in terms of the broad strokes of kind of like enter conan stage left weird stuff happens exit conan stage right (laughs) kind of thing and the fact that like the adventures could take place oh this story is about conan when he was 18 you know and he was like 
breaking into like temples to steal big gems. Hmm. Uh, oh, this this one's Conan when he's like twenty six and he's a pirate now. Yeah, yeah. Apropos nothing. Uh, oh, this one's when he's 50, when he's fifty and he's basically Julius Caesar. <laughs> you know, um, I really like that kind of storytelling because I, I I love the idea of being freed from the, the continuity. Yeah, yeah. In a way of just being able to see random chapters, and that's something that kind of comes into Hellboy, which then percolates. Uh, into my own work because again you know hellboy initially before it kind of all knitted together was just those early volumes were just random stories weren't they yeah yeah so you would get one and like they started at the beginning it would be like oh stuttgart 1957 you know and that would be a 12 page story that ran in like dark horse presents and then the next one would be germany 1978 and you'd be like well what the hell happened in the last like 20 years yeah <laughs> and it doesn't matter because it's still hellboy yeah totally you know uh, and that's kind of something i want to do um, you know, you're going to see coming to the fore a lot more in the Legend of La Mariposa. The idea is to frustrate any attempt to create a Legend of La Mariposa timeline or reading order. <laughs> that's, that's that's good though, man. I, I, I'm a I'm a fan of that kind of um, almost like one shot storytelling. You know that there's stuff that's happened in between, but like you say, it does it doesn't matter. It, it yeah. all all compiles to the sort of broader universe, but what what's it matter? You're you're on the other adventure now. This is this is the character. We're we're, we're yeah. meeting the other characters. Here we go. You know, it's great. I love yeah, that. Exactly. Absolutely love That's that. That's the thing. That's the thing. Like you know, because I remember how I used to read comics as a, as a kid. Yeah. You know, I I grew up on kind of like European comics. I didn't discover superhero comics until a little later. Mm-hmm. But like when I when I was first read the first comics I ever read, they were. Asterix and uh, Italian Mickey Mouse comics. Yeah. And they were just, <clears throat> you know, I think the first Asterix book that I got was something like volume 21 right. or something, maybe like 26 or something. Um, and then the next one I got was volume three. And when I was a kid, it never occurred to me. I was just like, I'm reading these out of order because it was always a satisfying thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then I discovered superhero comics later on. And like, you know, Spider-Man would be swinging through the city and he'd be like, oh, if, you know, oh, Aunt May's still in the hospital from that run-in with the Green Goblin, there'd be a caption box being like, see Amazing Spider-Man, 346. Yeah. And like, I was reading these Spider-Man comics in, you know, um, reissues in kind of the anthology style books that we got in Europe, where it would be like four issues of like random eras of Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. You know, Panini ones, they still do them now. Yeah, you yeah. You still get them in WWE. But like they also had the they also had them in Italy. They had them in like in Europe in general, where they would collect them, you know, and there'd be like different eras of Spider-Man, um, and they wouldn't always be like complete, or you would miss an issue because this was before kind of the internet. Yeah, yeah. You know? so if you didn't get down to the comic shop that month, you weren't getting that issue, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So I always find it much more satisfying to like find random issues of like Asterix or Tintin or anything like that. Because you would know that you would get not only a chunk of a book, um, but you would get a complete story from start to finish. You didn't have to be like, "What happened to Aunt May?" Yeah, Watching hospital. Yeah, exactly. I, there, there, know, yeah, there is that, but I don't know. See, um, see, getting all the the issues and stuff here that were all pretty sporadic and stuff as well. And you would get like trades of stuff in the library or whatever, but it was like. I don't know. Say it was like, uh, like one of my first ones was like the death of Superman. Like I read Superman dying as one of my first 
kind of superhero fortes and they were introducing all these other uh, members of the Justice League and everything and I just took it as like oh yeah that's Green Lantern like I just I didn't have a clue like I just went into it I think getting them like that almost taught you just to read them out of sequence it didn't it didn't matter I think because of that whole thing of like growing up on the Beano and Asterix and Tintin and all that kind of stuff and having just a complete adventure Mm. I just thought that these were exactly the same so I was I didn't know there was a grander story before it. I didn't know that there was other things going on. I just accepted that this stuff was there. You know what I mean? It was it was like Asterix no. in that kind of thing. Um so I think you just I think it's only because of now, like you say, because of the internet and because you know that there is a a continuation of the story or earlier parts of the story or you know where the origins of, of a character comes from. I think that's the only reason that people have ended up reading stuff like sequentially now and actually reading it from the start you know and going back to volume one and stuff that whole training of just picking up any old issue and reading through it is completely gone these days you know but it's uh yeah it's great <laughs> i love that i love just picking up a story halfway you know, through and getting into it saying about i think like the i think death of superman might have been one of the first Superman stories that I read as well. Oh yeah, because yeah. I think we're at the same age, and like I yeah. do remember it because I had the issue um, where, he, and obviously I was familiar with Superman before I ever read a Superman comic oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. he's just, it's you know this universal icon. Yeah, <laughs> you know there are people like in you know so far flung, so isolated places that know who Superman is. Oh yeah, yeah, you know? <laughs> um, it's like this universal symbol. Um, but the funny thing is, is like, you know, I obviously I recognize Superman. Um, I recognize kind of the main characters, but then you were remembering the other members of the Justice League and there was like characters in it that like I didn't have any kind of context for. Yeah. Um, so I accepted them as being on the same level as Superman or Batman. So the character Bloodwind. Yes. <laughs> and I remember him being in the Justice League at the time. And I just like, I, I remember thinking, wow, that guy's costume is amazing. Yep like really kind of distinctive like white and red kind of he's kind of like a spooky boy and when, when he speaks his voice is all weird he's got different sort of speech balloons yep. and i never saw him again outside of that like outside of that comic yeah yeah i, f- I found out years later who he actually was and uh it kind of ruined it for me so i won't say it if you've never found out um, does he do something to do with the dead or something like that doesn't he like can't he speak to the dead or something I... is he like a necromancer I think so, but it turned out. Well, if if you don't mind me saying, he, he, it turned out he was actually a Martian Manhunter. Uh, okay. Yeah, it turned out that it was like Mar- something had happened, and Martian Man- Manhunter came back as this character, Bloodwind, and I think right. it was. I think it was literally. Uh, sales for any sort of Bloodwind related comics were going in the toilet and they were like, right, we need to get rid of this character, make him something else. <laughs> and, okay. were, and Martian Manhunter hadn't been around for a while, so they were like, right, bring him back as Martian Manhunter, that'll do. You know, um, but I I heard that and thought, oh, that's bullshit. But I do like Martian Manhunter as well, so I, I was kind of happy in a way. I like Martian Manhunter. I like the occasion with Martian Manhunter where they just kind of go, he's like, you know, I'm str- as strong as Superman. Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. I like that he's kind of a chill dude. Yeah, he is. He's just like, yeah, I'll be on monitor duty, whatever. Yeah. Oh, like, I'm going to be a detective. <laughs> I, I like him as kind of this fluid character, but then there are periods of times where just like, everyone always forgets that I'm like as strong as Superman. Yeah. Yep. I, I always, I think people always forget that he can, 
transform as well, and not just his physical appearance, but his mind and everything. Mm. Um, and they always forget that he's like a telepath. So there's like loads of issues where like they're standing in a room and they're all having this conversation, and then they'll just write a line of dialogue where Johns will say like. Yeah, I already know. I've already read all your minds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just like, oh, brilliant. Like, he knows the plan just by sitting there being like, yeah, I know. Like, crack yeah, on, yeah. you know? <laughs> I just like stuff where it's just like, oh, I'm going to be a detective for a bit. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm going to be a detective for a bit. And just little stuff like uh, the fact that he, you know, he's a fiend for those Oreos. Yeah. <laughs> like he's a beast beast for them. <laughs> so good. So, so yeah. good. But it was... Uh, yeah, it was it was strange um, that kind of thing though, and Death of Superman as well. Uh, like Guy Gardner's gone through like a big massive thing. He's not actually a Green Lantern at that point. He's got like a yellow ring and he's wearing like a black leather jacket and stuff. But yeah, that was my first introduction to that to that character. Yeah, as same, well. totally, like, yeah. totally same. And I, I, I like I remember like the kid in, in it says something along the lines of like, "Oh, he's cool. He's he's not with all those squares. He ditched the the lanterns." I'm like, "What?" You know what I mean? Like, I love that because it's like. I mean, even as a kid, like I, I never thought Guy Gardner was. I only ever thought Guy Gardner was cool um, when I started reading the the Green Lantern Core series in the early, like you know, the mid two thousands. Right. Okay. <laughs> the, you know, the, the the one that was kind of like police procedural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the pure reason was just that bowl cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I can't take anyone with a bowl cut seriously. Same, same. And uh had an old friend that was that used to go to church and everything and was like proper like wee wee tiny uh, shorts and stripy t shirts and everything. The most geeky guy you'd ever meet. Um, you know, very good very good boy, would never do anything wrong at all. And that was what I associated a bowl cut with. Because he had a perfect bowl cut. And like I would see Green uh, Green Lantern like Guy Gardner and just be like no like no way <laughs> and then I started reading like Justice League uh, International uh, with the rest of the guys and it was like oh he's great like he's so funny <laughs> oh it's so so good but it's um yeah it's it, it, it was that whole thing of like you could just pick up an issue at any any point. Um, back to what we're saying, but it's just that whole thing of like you pick up an issue, and it was like almost learned in a way, and I don't know if people can do that now, um, which I think that is quite complimentary and works for your newest collection because it's the sort of ind- individual stories, mm. um, and it it'll now that will kind of appeal to a broader. Um, audience as well because it all appeals to the people like us that have just been used to picking up random issues and stuff as well but can also appeal to a whole new set of people who just want to read sort of one-offs and stuff in between and maybe haven't read it before have a wee flick through and go oh this is just different stories well I can read this you know what I mean yeah the idea is that you can get kind of like complete stories um, and it might just be because the the character of Lamara Post is simple enough that she's not carrying the weight of like a lot of backstory around. Yeah, yeah. Like the backstory isn't isn't really explored at all, and that's kind of by design. Yeah. Uh, because it's not necessarily important to the actual story that you're reading at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this this new one that you're on about about doing a kind of prequel. Uh, well, what kind of kind of prequel? I'm assuming you won't be going so in depth that you end up finding out too much, kind of thing. 
No, I mean, I have like a vague idea for, you know, sort of how the Mariposa was born. Okay. You know, and how she arrived kind of like at the place where the, um, I guess you, I guess you can call it volume four mm. will be set. But the idea has always been to keep it purposefully vague. Okay. Is it doesn't, it doesn't matter. What matters is what you're doing at that moment in time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I want to delete, you know, and there is temptations that do come up. I found a really scintillating piece of research the other day that could really feed into um, a Hellboy-esque um, des- you know, destiny for La Mariposa. But then I just kind of thought, mm, it's not really what the character's about. Yeah. You know, I like the idea of this character who's like, you know, she's written to be humble. Mm-hmm. and friendly and wants to help people out and maybe is a little bit too naive sometimes um you, you know I, I i want her to kind of like not 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 be a blank slate but i don't want them to be carrying the weight of destiny yeah because i do feel that sometimes that locks people into a fairly narrow arc mm. you know yeah 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 i get that man um yeah, it's it's got to be um, that's that's having having all that kind of going through your head as you're having to um, think about the stories though, and think about how you're going to go in the directions and stuff. That must take a bit of a toll as you're as you're going through it, especially working like full time and everything as well, trying to run a life and everything, and having to create on top of that. Do you ever get like overwhelmed by it? Um. <sighs> It's a bit of a tricky one because obviously everyone has ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. There are days where I just don't have it, like where I'm just not feeling it. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I definitely spent like a week just being like, I'm just going to play video games. Okay. <laughs> all evening. I'm just, you know, um, because I'm just too, I'm just too knackered after work or like it's been a heavy day or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm not saying, you know, I don't like knock off work and then go and sit down at the desk and just bang out pages for five hours. I just no. that's not sustainable. Um, <laughs> One of the great benefits, one of the reasons why I'm like really happy to be an independent creator, um, is is the fact that I don't have the deadlines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the expectation of the work, like I the it's literally me and the people who want to read my work. Yeah, that's kind of my connection. There isn't like a load of kind of like folks kind of waiting on me to like produce work so they can make their money mm. kind of thing so you know if i needed to if i decided that i needed to take a sabbatical and leave la mariposa around or what like to one side and leave it but i could do if mm. i wanted to yeah, yeah but i keep doing it because I, I really enjoy it um and i know that i can take my time yeah um and you know um yeah again it's just like i'm not um I'm not. I'm not beholden to anyone other than the people who want to read the work and myself, oh, which sweet. is a really kind of liberating place to be. In. And you know, it is helpful because it, it feeds into my day job as well. Because in my day job, I'm a, I'm a lecturer. Yeah. Um. So you know, and I teach. I teach on kind of a comics and concept art course. So the comic stuff that I do, I'm very lucky that like my job supports my creative endeavors. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it feeds into my professional practice. You know. I'm, I'm active within the um, the industry, you know, within the art form that I teach in. Yeah, yeah. So it all kind of weaves together. And teaching has other advantages regarding kind of scheduling. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you get you get sort of free access then to take down any sort of notes of um, creative concepts or, or ways that stories can go or anything throughout your day without it feeling like extra stuff that you've got to do on top of your day job and everything, basically. Yeah, because yeah, cause in the course of kind of doing research for any kind of workshop that I've got to give or if I have any kind of discussion with a student about their own projects, mm. that will usually trigger an idea or a bit of inspiration for my own work. Yeah, yeah. And then that feeds back into the teaching because the the um, discoveries that I make in my own work, like you know, on a technical level, in terms of ways to tell a story and ways to communicate things, mm. then can feed back. So it, so I'm I'm I, I'm very very lucky in that kind of like, you know, my professional and my creative life's kind of inter- intertwined quite closely and form quite a nice loop. That's good, man. That's good. Yeah. So it's, it's a, so I, I feel like you know I, you know I'm. Um, La Mariposa is not like a global sensation. I'm not fighting off like movie <laughs> office or TV office. You know, I don't have like a huge circulation, but I have a, you know, I have the the freedom to do the stories that I want, and I have, um, you know, a a core of readers who are you know very supportive. You know, they mm. they funded the first Kickstarter, and you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, they're. Uh, it's looking like they're going to fund the second one as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and as long as people want to keep reading it, then you know the 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 motivation is there to keep making it. Because to be honest, even if you know no one wanted to read these comics except my mum, <laughs> I'd probably still make them because I really enjoy making them. And ultimately, you have to make comics because you enjoy making them. Yes. Yeah, yeah, man. You know, yeah. and yeah. then anything else that comes after that is a bonus, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, they're not they're not they're not easy to do. So the 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 drive and the will to actually want to do them is is the whole thing. Yeah. You know, I think that's what people forget a lot of the time. They think that it's it's just this thing of like, oh, but you you just enjoy drawing, so you just draw whatever and that's it. it's like no, it's still it's still there's still an aspect of work. But yeah, the fun as- the aspect comes into it wholly and keeps you going, you know. It it's it's a craft. Yeah. Craft. It's like you you can bake cookies, right? And you can bang out simple cookies that, you know, they're fine. You can bang out some gingerbread men. <laughs> you know, and be happy with them. And that's fine. That's great, you know? But if you what if you want to just get really good at making gingerbread men? Then you're gonna have to put the work in. Yeah. You know, you're gonna to have to find like the right. I don't really make that much gingerbread. This is a bad analogy. You're gonna to have to find the. You're gonna to have to find the right ingredients. You know, if you want to do like fun little sort of designs on them in icing, you're gonna to have to like put some practice in with with the the icing bag. Yeah. You know, uh, the the piping. What, what, what you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the thing that puts the thing that puts the icing on the cookie. Um, <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You can make sort of like irregular shapes of gingerbread and they will be delicious and you'll be like i made a thing it's fun and then go do something else yeah but if you want to you know go i want to get really really good at making gingerbread man then yeah then you have to put a bit of graft in yeah yeah totally. um and you know both are valid mm-hmm. you know you don't have to put the graft in if you don't want to yep because there's plenty of other things out there that you can focus your energy on yeah 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 that's good, man. That's a, that's a good that, analogy aside. That was good logic. <laughs> that, was, that was good. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm uh, 
wondering though is have you do you, you just sort of break, I know you you know it's a it's a it's a pipe dream when 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 you're making stuff like this but realistically your I think your work has the the look and appeal that it could be turned into something like a television series or even just a set of short animations is it something mm-hmm. that you've thought about I mean you know if we're talking blue sky pine sky thinking I would love a La Mariposa film by Studio Leica. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know who did like Paranorman and the Box Trolls and yeah, um, Q and Two Strings. Two strings. Yeah. Like I think I think I think a Leica level stop motion Legend of La Mariposa like movie would be amazing. That'd be cool. Like I've had people ask me in the past, like who would you see? Like you know who would you? who would you want to play La Mariposa in a movie? Or like, are there any wrestlers that you think would make a good La Mariposa? And like, honestly, I never have an answer. Right. Because <laughs> I think of it as animation. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, you know, I see, yeah, yeah, I love those Leica movies. And like the, again, just in terms of sort of the sheer craft and labor of love, I think it would be, that would be the blue sky. But I, you know, I'm open to anything. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, if if, if if Cartoon Network came knocking on the door, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't kick them off my kick them off my front porch. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I doubt a lot of people would. To be fair, <laughs> no, like you know, it, would take, it would take a a certain amount of confidence to kind of like knock something like that back. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, I, I mean, I look at stuff like I look at stuff like Mitchell's versus the Machines, and I look at Spider Verse, and I'm just like, this is animation it is high budget animation yeah but it's so distinct and graphic you know you know um graphic in style graphic yeah, yeah, graphically yeah. kind of intense stylistically as opposed to you know violent or whatever yeah. um so it's kind of like moves beyond um what i think a lot of people think of when they think of kind of big big budget animation mm. so like if anyone was just like gonna option the legend of Mariposa, i would want it to be someone who is similarly willing to push the envelope and make it look you know unique yes yeah yeah so that's so that's an invitation for that studio to <laughs> come and <laughs> <Yeah>. approach you <laughs> My my DMs are open. <laughs> Come get a bit. Are you? Um, is there anything else that you are? Well, that you have in mind that you would love to develop outside of Lamariposa? Is there any other projects and stuff that you've had a thought a thought of that you would want to do, or is your focus just now purely on the Lamariposa sort of universe? Oh, sure, sure. I mean, you know, my main focus is The Legend of La Mariposa. That's, I've got the ideas for it. Uh, I've got stories I need to get out. Mm. Um, You know, that's what I think people want to see. That's what I think people will enjoy. Yeah. Um, I still feel like there's much more, much, much more I can do with the character. Um, I have other interests. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, I'm I'm a huge mythology, folklore, like nerd. Uh-huh. You know, so exploring something in that direction is definitely a possibility. Yeah. Uh, in the future, um, especially maybe sort of like going down some paths like related to sort of more kind of Celtic. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know more more sort of Celtic folklore that would be really fun to do. Yeah. Um, is that just that, sort of influenced? That kind of is that influenced by your upbringing on Isle of Man? Uh, well, yeah, actually, literally. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. One of the things I've been working. So you know, you keep. I mean, that's the thing. Any any artist has inevitably got various kind of side projects. Yeah. But like, I love kind of like I love folklore of all style. You know, I kind of grew up reading kind of you know Norse and Greek and everything mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, the Isle of Man has got various kind of like odd little folk tales that don't really go anywhere or do anything, but are just really nice. Yeah. You know, the the Isle of Man doesn't have a huge um heroic tradition but it has got fairy pigs so, <laughs> you know oh, that's a good one that's good so there's, there's definitely kind of your know, rich story gold yeah in those in those creative minds yeah that is stuff that you could adapt in different ways towards lamar Posa, though which is which is quite fitting but i mean that's the thing like any kind of like any any sort of storyteller will inevitably have tens of dozens of side projects yeah that's why the idea of keeping your best ideas back doesn't really kind of make any sense yeah (laughs) because if you're paying attention you know like saying like oh i'm not going to do this one because i think this would be really good and another thing it's kind of like just do it yeah just doing the thing that you're doing at the moment yeah i've never understood that like people who get a really really good idea and they keep it back it's like well you could have just done it and then if you continued to make work and like 10 years down the line decided that you wanted to do it again then just revisit it do it again you know what i mean yeah exactly (laughs) yeah it's mad uh dude i've just noticed we've breezed over the hour mark just there oh yeah yeah. (laughs) um so i'll uh, start to wrap up and just say where can everybody find you etc and the kickstarter for the new lamar posa book yeah sure um i can be found on twitter um at king friday joe that's the the royal title the day and the name (laughs) uh you can find me on instagram at jimmy dean sausages (laughs) Um, which I didn't know was a brand of American hot dogs yep. when I took the name. Um, <laughs> that's where I tend to post a lot of kind of like sketches, doodles. I mean, to be fair, everything I put on Instagram goes up on Twitter anyway. Um, <laughs> if you search The Legend of La Mariposa or Long Live La Mariposa, um, you'll find various things on there. Uh, what I really want people to look at is the Kickstarter, which is running until the 1st of July. Um, and that is the Legend of La Mariposa, The Climb, and Other Stories. Yes. Uh, the next book will have a shorter title, I promise. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we are 93% funded. We are 7% for the goal. It's less than 250 quid to go. That's maybe like five big, you know, five top tier pledges. We've got yeah. patches, stickers, enamel pins. There's even retail tiers available for retailers at a 50% wholesaler discount which is pretty deep wow yeah um yeah you know so um a couple of people have uh, you know taken me up on that the good people at gosh comics i believe are in are in the tank for one. Oh, good which is lovely um yeah yeah you know the, there's 20 days left on the campaign um if you are a bit a bit short in pocket which you know who isn't <laughs> uh, there are digital tiers available as well you can get a pdf of the climate other stories for a fiver you can get both books digitally for a tenner um so there's 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 tears to suit every every pocket that's good man 
that's good there's a, that's that's the way to do it keeping it open so that people with just a couple of quid can get a, a copy as well that's good well it's it's yeah it's a weird time at the moment because there is there, there's you know shipping costs yeah because of various political decisions which we, we, we're not going to go into nope <laughs> have uh, have made have made international shipping very challenging so you know we've got to yeah I, I i'm doing my very best to keep like shipping costs uh down and to basically keep everything reasonable and affordable because i think comics should be yeah that's good man that's really really good well uh hopefully by the time this goes out and it probably will be i'm calling it right now it'll be funded and it'll be good to go and everybody will be getting their their copies in due course but yeah (laughs) (laughs) well i'm not going to say it because that would jinx me but i will thank you for your enthusiasm (laughs) perfect well thank you very much for doing this james that's good of you thank you thank you for having me on board it's always a pleasure send us any comments or questions or just to say hello you can reach us by email at thatcomicsmell at gmail.com you can also follow us on twitter and instagram at thatcomicsmell share the podcast with your friends and followers we are on soundcloud spotify itunes youtube and most other places you find podcasts and don't forget to rate review and subscribe thanks for listening Our music is by Chart Smasher and this track is Dial Up. You can find Chart Smasher on Twitter at Joan Edam and you can buy the tracks on Bandcamp. That Comic Smell comic issue number one is now available to buy. Join David Robertson, Fernando Pons, Mike Sadaka and Tom Stewart with guest artist John Tucker as they create their first anthology together. Buy your copy today at fredeggcomics.bigcartel.com Go to fredeggcomics.bigcartel.com today to buy your copy.